but I mean, he's probably 320, 30 type bowl. And, um, I'm like, man, that's a nice bowl too. Well, all of a sudden the bowl that I'm like trying to kill puts his head down and just tips his rack over and goes to sleep and his head's behind <laughs> basketball sized rock. And I was like, that did not just happen. Like he's out cold. I sat there for like five minutes. The wind's in my face. Sure enough, he's behind this rock. Can't see any of the other bowls. All their heads are down. Did I snuck up 19.2 yards and just stood behind a tree. Welcome to the Elk Hunt Podcast with myself, Cody Rich. This feed is home to the best elk hunting podcast that I've done over the last seven years. And if you want to be a better elk hunter, then you're in the right place. If you want the blueprint that I developed after interviewing hundreds of the best elk hunters in the world and 20 plus years of my own hunting experience, check out my new Elk Hunt 201 course. It's a four-step system for doubling your success. It's a framework to give you a step-by-step -step system that you can build off of for finding elk, getting close to elk, and killing elk without getting lucky. Check it out. Link in the show notes. All right, buddy. Welcome to the podcast, man. Uh, I got a Wapiti Wednesday. Mr. John Gabriel. What's going on, dude? Oh, not much, man. Just uh, alive and kicking. Dealing with good old COVID-19 here, you know, in <laughs> solitude. So, you know. I mean, I does it really change your life much? No, this is my normal view right here every <laughs> single day. So, whatever, you know, behind me, I got the deer. And then, um, yeah, this is a pretty normal routine for me. But um, everyone else seemed to be struggling a little bit. So, yeah. Are you, um, so Gabriel is graphic designer, guru, entrepreneur, I guess all of it. What's, what's your, uh, what do you consider yourself? What's your job title? Um, my, my official job title, I, mean, I don't really have one make stuff. I don't know. make shit look cool. I don't know. Like, um, I, I don't know. Um, my official job title I would say is probably like a uh, graphic web designer would kind of be kind of my, my two, yeah. uh, if I had a title, cause I do a lot of design work, um, you know, apparel logos ads, and then I do a ton of web work too. And then, you know, online marketing and stuff. So I don't know, I'm kind of a little bit of jack of all trades when it comes to everything, I guess. But, yeah. I'd say so. you're an online marketer too. Like, I don't know, you and I, it's funny cause we're doing a podcast, but you and I BS quite a bit outside of the podcast. So it's yeah. like, Hey, we should just do a podcast this week. Cause I need to do a Wapiti Wednesday. Uh, yeah. so you and I talk almost daily <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Uh, much. yeah. So let's talk about some elk hunting today. We're going to cover the top 10 mistakes that most people, ourselves included, make while elk hunting. I, this is going to be pretty archery specific, but I guess, you know, a lot of it's going to overlap. Uh, I We built this list kind of thinking about archery elk hunting. I didn't even think about it until like 12 seconds ago that like, uh, we probably, some things would change or whatever for rifle. But I guess for the most part, we're going to talk about uh, archery mistakes. Uh, you and I have both made a lot of these mistakes. We were laughing before the podcast and we get some stories uh, to back up some of these uh, what not to do's, man. But uh, yeah, I before we get started, though, we got to hear the story from last year's Montana Bull. Yeah. So, uh, last year in Montana was a pretty fun year for me. Um, you know, I haven't really hunted Eastern Montana, you know, a ton, um, a little bit for deer, but never for elk. And, um, I'm usually kind of more of a Western Montana guy. I'm from Washington. So I'm used to pounding the brush all the time. And Western Montana has a ton of brush and kind of more what I'm used to, 
hunting and what I grew up hunting. So going east, a little more open, more elk. Uh, that's never a bad thing, but it definitely was kind of an eye opener for me a little bit um, in several areas. One uh, that would be dealing with the gumbo mud, uh, <laughs> you know, and so it rains and you can get stuck real quick and it can ruin your hunt. So I think that that was kind of like one of the things that I struggled with the most. So, um, I went over two days before the opener, um, which I think last year was on the seventh. So I went over on the fifth and got set up, got camp set up and I was kind of way back in and spotted about 40 head, I guess the first night and a nice, you know, about 306 point. And he was out there chasing the cows and kind of not really what I was after on that hunt. But, uh, night before the opener, it just downpoured. And <laughs> Man, like I, you know, I didn't think too much about it. I mean, I, I assumed that the mud was going to be bad, but I didn't think it would be that bad. It rained and rained, went out, did a 10 mile hike the first morning and nothing like no elk. They're not even around that big group of 40 that I saw were gone. They checked out. And of course I was kind of wondering, I'm like, you know, thinking to see more people. Well, I was like the only one kind of around and well, I figured out why, cause no one could drive me. <laughs> So that, that kind of was like a little bit of a struggle. And I was like, oh man, like there's no elk here. Uh, my game plan's ruined. You know, what am I going to do? And, um, so Saturday kind of sat around, built a fire, like just tried to stay dry. Did another big hike in the afternoon. Um, I actually saw some mule deer just kind of walking out there and, um, little couple small bucks. And then Sunday afternoon, it kind of dried up a little bit. And, um, enough to kind of, well, I'm going to venture out. Well, that was a mistake. I mean, literally <laughs> went like a mile and a half down the road, truck sliding everywhere. I didn't have a side-by-side or a quad. And, um, oh dude, like my whole truck went from like clean to hammered in dirt, mud everywhere. You couldn't <laughs> even see out the windshield. Um, so that it sucked. And so Monday, it had stayed dry Sunday afternoon into Monday and then it was going to start raining again on Monday. And I was like, whatever. I just packed all my crap up. I was like, I'm going to get out of here and at least get back to a main traveled road. And so we did that, um, got out to the main travel road and ended up spotting a bunch of elk, but they were on some private. And, um, I went up and knocked on this old timer's door and I was like, you know, I'm just going to go ask for access. Probably not going to get it, but I'm going to, we'll see. And, um, Anyways, he didn't give me access to his property, but he tipped me off on a few spots and he's, you know, there were some guys that he'd already leased out his land to that were hunting it. So I was kind of screwed. And, um, I went up and checked out one of his spots where I spotted like a 350 bowl and I was like, okay, now we're talking like, you know, <laughs> thank you. This old timer. Like I wish I had some whiskey. I could have just like handed him right there, you know, and been like here, but I was thinking I needed all the whiskey I had for <laughs> like this, this rainstorm. So anyways, um, just kind of slow, like really wasn't seeing much red activity. And, um, honestly, I just was like, I'm done. Like I packed all my stuff up. I went home. I'm going to come back in like another week or two after, you know, things pick up. I don't want to deal with the weather. Like the next four days it was rain every day. And I just, I didn't have a game plan. Like, you know, it was just, it sucked. And so that really kind of put a damper on the beginning of the hunt. The next week I had to go to New Mexico to film for Ryan Callahan, um, with meat eater, went down, uh, had an awesome hunt. He shot a 320 bowl with his longbow, eight yards, called it in on third morning. Um, that was fun. 
And so we got monsoons down there, never experienced anything like that either. I mean, I'm talking like giant monsoons that the road went from dry to two feet deep in water in like an hour type That's of stuff. That's nuts. Yeah. So that was kind of an eye opener too. I mean, I, I, yeah, I've never experienced anything like that. And so, um, hunted, uh, Brian Broderick day six, he was there. He had a tag. We hunted with him for the rest of the season. So the next like seven days there, um, he never got one. Um, well, he did end up killing one, I guess on the last day, last morning I had went home and, um, anyways, got my stuff, came back to Montana. So now it's the 26th of September. Um, and went and my other half, she had a tag and my dad had a tag. And so my dad had been there for about seven days before we showed up. My dad's over there. Oh yeah. This is a piece of cake. He let six bowls go. And like one was a 320 bowl, like didn't even shoot at it. And you know, he's over here watching a couple three fifties and I'm like, okay, this is going to be a slam dunk. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we're going to, we're just going to wax them out. Well, first morning, uh, went out um, called in a, about a three ten, three fifteen bowl right off the bat. And then, um, dude, it just like, it took off and like we had elk running everywhere. And, um, so then it was about, I guess that next day, the day and a half later, dude, it rained again and we got stuck. In the same <laughs> spot that I was in the beginning of the season. I should have learned. <sighs> so that really, I was like, well, okay, now we're stuck in here for a day. Granted, we did have some elk bugling, which was kind of the only plus. So we were in some elk and, um, took, we had a side by side this time, took that out, drove down, came out on this landing and kind of looking over like this river bottom. And I glassed way up this Canyon and, um, I saw spotted what looked like elk. And I'm telling you, they're like six, seven miles away. I mean, I'm a spot and scope out 60 power and the sun happened to hit them just right. And they were like ants, like glistening yellow ants, just like <laughs> down there. And I was like, Kylie, I was like, I think those are elk, I, but they're so far away. I'm like, I, you know, I can't really tell, but there's like 200 of them. And so I'm like, if those are elk, there's a pile of elk, like we're in. And so came back, got the truck, had to chain up all fours of my truck, dad's and took off, got out of there and then went about 30 miles around to get to this spot. Even though it was six, seven miles away, we had to go completely around. And, uh, dude, we pull up and it's like private. And I knew looking at Onyx at the time, I was like, man, this, they could be on private or, you know, there's some BLM right there. Um, but you're probably going to have to cross, uh, some block management to get there, but you're gonna have to come in the other way and it's going to be a haul to get in there. Well, we get over there and look and of course, dude, they're like, they are on the BLM chunk. No way. Dude, 200 head plus on BLM on the backside of the private. The only way to get in there is to go completely around like the other way and come in and hike in about four miles, four and a half miles. And I was like, well, it could be worse. That's not that far. So we go figure out how to get in there first off, figure out if, you know, we could even cross block management to get to the state land and, you know, whatever BLM. And, um, dude, it was kind of a nightmare the first night. Well, we finally figured it out and figured out how to get in. We had to even go in a different way and, um, ran into this landowner and he was super nice and kind of told us where we could go and, uh, went in, dude, get in there like 200 head running around in front of us. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be a slam dunk. I mean, it's like, just pick one and 
like, let's just go kill it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so I was concerned about getting my dad and my other half one because I really wanted her to kill one with her bow. And so first night we're sitting there on this little ledge and I start cow calling and all of a sudden, dude, it's like this whole herd of elk. And it's like, here's like four or five rag bowls, another four or five, and then another five point, And then like this 370 bowl all by himself, not even with the herd. And I start cow, dude, I got elk running everywhere and they're like <laughs> running at us. And like, then they kind of hung up and I kept cow calling, got set up. And, uh, then we spotted another dude and I was like, oh boy, you know, here we go. You know, typical, he's going to screw this up. He's going to show himself. Herd's going to run off. Not going to be good. And, uh, all of a sudden I, I'm like looking and we had like four bulls in front of us coming in and I'm like, I don't know where they went. They should be right here below us. Like, I, you know, I don't know where they're at. Dude, I turn around and like, look over this ledge and I see antler tips and I'm like, oh, and I'm like, Kylie, draw your bow, draw your bow. So she draws back and dude, this like rag bowl walks out at 25 yards and I go to stop him. And right as I'm like, okay, shoot, like telling her to shoot. Cause he stopped and I buzzed my read and it was like, <laughs> and dude, he froze and all the other three, you know, I see like all their antler tips, like they're all just like coming up right behind each other and they all just take off running. And I'm just like, before she could get the shot. And I was just like, are you kidding me? Like, how did I screw that up? So of course, then I'm like, well, there's, you know, we got more bowls coming in. We're good. And then this big seven by sevens over here raking by himself. Like, all right, we're going to go kill him. Like, you know, no big deal. Well, that all sounds fine and dandy until you got more elk walking towards you and eyes everywhere and cows. And, you know, it just was not, it was not going to happen. Yeah. So we backed out, hiked clear back out of there that night, went back to the truck, ate dinner, kind of like, okay, well, we got a ton of elk. Let's just hope that they stay there in the morning and then, you know, we'll go back in. So we went back in, get there at daylight. Dude, there's elk screaming everywhere. And now they picked up like another hundred. So now there's like, yeah, there's like 300 head in front of us running around out here. And there's cars able, like, and it was not really a main road, but kind of like a you could drive it, you know, like traveled road on the other side where the private was. And dude, there's like two, three rigs just stopped, like looking at all these elk. And I'm like, well, we only got a matter of time because, <laughs> you know, someone's going to figure out how to get in here like we did. And then yeah. it's over. So we go in, called in like a 280, 296 point that morning to Kylie. She never got a shot. Um, it walked off. And then I'm like, all these elk came up out of this like kind of, grassy river bottom ish thing embedded up in this timber dude we're looking there is bulls everywhere and i'm watching there's like a three set that i think it was the same seven by seven from the night before and he's bedded with like 30 cows and there's like 10 12 satellite bulls bedded around him and i'm like well do you want to you know obviously it'd be nice to kill a big one but do you just want to kill one or like what do you want to do so well, i just want to kill an elk so we go sneaking in there come up over this little knob and there's antler tips like 30 yards in front of us, another bull bedded, a peek over just like behind this tree. There was like a down tree kind of with a bunch of like pine, you know, tree with a bunch of limbs. I put my head through it and I'm kind of like peeking over the top of it, just like out through the limbs. Dude, there's like six, seven bulls bedded within like 50, 60 yards. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm going to cow call get ready. And one of these suckers is going to just walk right over here to you and walk right over this thing. And you're going to shoot it like 10, 15 yards. 
And um, we didn't really have a choice because when we snuck into this spot, we got stuck. And I didn't realize there was more elk behind us. And I don't know how we got in there undetected, but we were, we kind of screwed up, but it was like, we just got to do what we got to do. So I cow call, she's ready. All of a sudden, dude, it's like World War Three, screaming everywhere, bulls <laughs> going nuts, antler tips start coming. I can just see them growing, like coming up over this knob. And uh, this bull walks out at like 10, 15 yards in front of her, like I thought he would. And literally, she's like ready to shoot. Here comes another one, like spooks it. He looks, sees her. They don't even know what's going on. He returns. She doesn't get a shot, runs off. And then I'm like, crap. So I grab my bow, jump up, draw back. This other bull runs out and st- I stop him, shoot. Well, I don't, I don't know what happened. Something happened. Anyways, I, dude, I missed him completely. <laughs> and um, I'm like, crap. Well, all of a sudden, there's bulls, so many elk running around. I, we, there's elk jumping up, bulls screaming at each other because they're like, it's like midday and they're wondering what's going on. And, um, dude, I don't even know, 30, 35 bulls in front of us. Within like, yeah, 200 yards and less. And I'm like, I, I don't even know what to do. I mean, I've hunted elk. I know how to call elk. I know what to do. But it was like one of those situations. I, dude, I was sitting <laughs> there like, I'm not sure what to do right now. Uh, and so all of a sudden, they stir up all these cows too because all the commotion and the bugling, they're rounding cows up, kicking them out of their beds. And all of a sudden, like, we got elk running by us everywhere. So we sneak forward, get set up in this spot. And all these elk just start like funneling down out of the timber, going back out down into this bottom hole as that starts to happen. I mean, dude, now they're out in the open and I'm like, crap, you know, I mean, we're, we're kind of stuck because I can't run out there in the open. And, um, so we just literally sat down, ate lunch and like watched all these elk out in front of us, like 300 head. And my dad was, came sneaking up cause he was behind us and we're all just watching all these elk. And, um, we literally, I was like, the only thing we got is, you know, to cow call, try to pull some off like last night or just back out of here and come back in the morning, you know, and just try not to screw it up again. And, um, so we literally sat there and watched him for about three, four hours that night. And I called in a giant, um, like three seventy eighty bull, just like big six, clean six and, um, never got it. And then next backed out of there, came back the next morning this time we knew where they were going to bed. So we went right into their zone and, um, do daylight breaks, bulls screaming. And here comes a whole herd and the dude, they're coming right up to us. I'm like, Hey, like you shoot one, I'll shoot one. My dad shoots one. We're all going to kill one. Like, you know, like, like this is <laughs> going like, to go. Yeah. The most epic elk hunting story ever. And, um, so I'm sitting there, dude, clockwork. Here, like bulls funneling up, coming up through the trees right here beside us. I'm like, Kylie, get ready. Like, you're going to kill this bull. Dude, six by seven walks out at 30, 35 yards. And I'm like, okay, shoot. Well, she's behind this tree on this side of me. And this bull comes in and he's angling down. I'm like, he's going to walk by broadside at 20 yards. Like, just wait. You know, he's going to, he's, he's done. And so he comes like cooking right down beside us. And uh, she's getting ready to shoot. Stupid thing stops makes a 180 and churns and walks by right in front of me broadside at like 10 yards. And I'm like, crap. Cause now if she swings around her broadhead's going to like hit me in the face, you know, it was just kind of a weird setup. And, uh, what well, walks over here to my side stops at 30 yards quartered away. If I'd have been drawn, I mean, I'd have smoked him. 
And uh, I look up and here comes another six by seven walking right at us. And so I did like two light cow calls. He stops at like mm, 30 yards, starts just ripping this tree apart, raking it. And I tell her, I'm like, okay, lean around in this tree, just shoot him. And uh, he takes another couple steps, stops raking 25 yards, dude, and stops broadside. Um, she shoots. I'm like, oh, this thing's smoked. Dude, hits it like high above the backbone, like in the back strap. Like, uh, no, no, no man's yeah. land. What happened? And I look over at her bow and I'm just like, how did that even happen? And uh, her sight, she has a single pin. It's set on 40. Uh. And so she's shooting a slow bow anyways, or slower because, you know, I mean, she just can't draw a bunch of weight. And um, this last year she'd hurt her wrist. So we had to crank her bow down anyways. And it just, it is a mess. So I'm like, grab another arrow, you know, like maybe he will stop him. You get another shot at him, even though I watched the arrow, like literally like fall out of this thing. I mean, it was, the bull's going to live, you know I mean? It was like not even a fatal shot. Here comes another bull. And I'm like, I don't even know what to do at this point. And, uh, I'm like, do I have her shoot one? Do I shoot one? You know, like, I, I don't know, like I know the other one's going to live. Maybe I should have her shoot another one. Well, all of a sudden all these cows start funneling in and dude, we literally sat here for like two hours within 80 yards of 30 head bedded and they just all bedded right in front of us. Well, there's like a 336 point running around chasing this whole herd and chasing other satellite bulls off. And so we got bulls running by us left and right. And I kind of really wanted to kill it. She's like, no, you shoot one. You know, I just screwed up and your chance. And I'm like, my dad's behind us and he's got elk running by him. I'm waiting for him to shoot one. And I'm like, I really want to shoot this like 330 bull on the chasing these cows because he has just a nice big clean six. And all of a sudden my dad comes sneaking up and he's like, Hey, there's a big bull bedded just around the hill over here under this big rock. And the rock's like the size of like a house. I mean, it's a giant rock. And, um, he's like, go kill it. I'll stay with Kylie. We'll get one of these bulls to make a mistake. He's running all these elk off. Like we're going to kill one. You go kill this one. So I take off, go sneaking around. And he's like, it's bedded right below the rock. You know, you can't miss it. And I'm sneaking, sneaking, sneaking. And all of a sudden I look up and I'm like, oh, it's not below the rock. I don't know where it's at. Elk disappeared. And, uh, I'm like, all of a sudden I see like his back fork sticking out like behind this tree. And I was like, Oh, I'm like, yeah, he's at like 35 yards bedded facing me. I'm like, that's not an ideal situation. <laughs> and so I'm like in his head and dude, he's like staring right at me. And of course I'm in the sun, not good situation. And, um, all of a sudden he puts his head down and he kind of like sleeping, like looked like he was sleeping, not sure. And you know, they do, they'll kind of put their head down and lift their head back up quick, trying to catch movement. Yeah. And, um, then he puts his head down and I look behind him and there's like a five point bedded at like 50 yards. And then I see another big bull bedded behind him and all I can see is rack, but I mean, he's probably 320, 30 type bull. And, um, I'm like, man, that's a nice bull too. Well, all of a sudden the bull that I'm like trying to kill puts his head down and just tips his rack over and goes to sleep and his head behind <laughs> basketball sized rock. And I was like, that did not just happen. Like he's out cold. I sat there for like five minutes. The wind's in my face. Sure enough, he's behind this rock. Can't see any of the other bulls. All their heads are down. Did I snuck up 19.2 yards and just stood behind a tree. And I was like, well, he's going to get up eventually. 
So I sat there literally for like an hour and a half. And I, mean, I was like 45 minutes, like off and on, like from where I'd kind of been to by the time I got a shot it was like an hour and a half. <laughs> and uh, so finally he lifts his head up and he's like, but he's on the ground. So all I can see is his rack just kind of like doing this, like waving around and, um, I can't see his eyes. So I'm like, well, I'm good. And, uh, all of a sudden I feel the wind hit the back of my neck and I'm like, Ooh, this isn't going to be good. So I just ripped my bow back, assuming that he was going to jump to his feet. And, uh, sure enough, dude, I ripped my bow back the minute I got it at full draw and was just getting settled. He jumped straight up and turned to run. I mean, it was so fast. And, uh, I shot him right when he started to turn to run off. And I just, it was like one of those things, like the perfect scenario, reading the situation, I knew what was going to happen when the wind hit my neck. I mean, it was like, there was no, Oh, maybe he'll kind of see what was going on. No, it was like drawback. Yeah. He's getting up and he's gone. And uh, I think just cause I've been there before. <laughs> and, um, so I shoot him, he runs down like 80 yards and, uh, the bull that's behind him jumps up, runs out, stops broadside and stands there at 38 yards. And he's just chilling broadside. And I'm like, Hmm, that's bigger than the one that I just killed. <laughs> so I'm like, this sucks. You know what I mean? Uh, whack one and he outruns a bigger one. And, um, he's standing there, dude, 45 minutes go by and he turns around the wind and went back in my face this whole time. I'm standing there just watching him, watching my bowl, you know, down there dead. And I'm like, Hmm, I don't know, whatever. Dude, he goes and beds back in the same spot, but he's behind that big rock. So I sneak back out of there, go get Kylie and my dad come back. And I'm like, okay, here's what's going to happen. The bull's bedded right behind that rock, getting there already. We're going to go over the top. Dad, you stay here at the bottom. If we spook him, he's going to run out. You can shoot him. If not, hopefully Kylie shoots him off the top. So, excuse me. Um, so we go up, start sneaking over the top. Dude, he's bedded right on the other side. And you can see his antler tips and we're just like peeking over, peeking over. And I'm like, okay, Kylie, like come to full draw and just take like one step forward off this rock and you're going to smoke this bull. And, um, dude, she draws back, takes her step forward, literally getting ready to shoot in this other five point, like blows out of there and he blows out too. And I was just like, so close. I mean, we almost killed the bulls right there, you know, and just didn't, it was like, didn't see the other bull, you know? And I mean, just, it is what it is. And Too many elk. It's a, it's, it's a real problem. <laughs> it is a real problem. I'm telling you, like, I've never experienced anything like that in my life. I mean, there was elk everywhere and it was like, I'd almost rather hunt where there's like 10 or 15 elk versus 300 because yeah. you can gauge the situation better. You can move on them. You can hunt them, call them it's an easier scenario when there's that many eyes and that many elk, like stuff is going to go sideways. I mean, dude, you can't call, you can't stock, you can't do anything. It's like, I mean, everyone's like, Oh man, it sounds like a great situation. And it worked out well. And sometimes like with that many elk, it's a matter of just like waiting for the right opportunity to get presented because like you figured out, like, you start calling and it's like, you're calling in little bulls and you know, what are the odds the three seventy bulls gonna come out first or right. you know, ragworn's gonna come and bump and screw up the whole thing? Like, oh dude, I totally get it. Yeah. That's that's the hardest part, like of the whole scenario <laughs> is when you have that many elk, yeah, it's just kind of hoping that one makes a mistake. Yep. And you almost don't even want to call because yeah. 
they're moving around so much. There's so much action. You don't need to even make any noise. And then if you do, of course, now you got like 15, 250 to 300 inch bulls running around at you. And of course, you know, I'm not saying I'm a trophy hunter, but I mean, so it's just, you know, it's like, that's what you want to kill. And I mean, you you draw a tag and you kind of want to kill a big bull, you know? No, for sure. So, Dude. Uh, yeah. So first mistake, there was like three I wrote down Yeah, <laughs> during that, during that story, but yeah, don't try to talk with a reed in your mouth. <laughs> that, yeah. That was one. <laughs> Throw the reed out. Um, I had all my intentions were good though. Yeah. I was going to stop him. Yeah. It, I mean, it kind of did. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> not he not when you wanted that. Oh dude, that's freaking epic though. I mean, I, I do think that like, you go through that kind of experience and that'll freaking hook you forever on elk hunting. You're like most oh, yeah. insane day ever. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I've had some killer days with like Phelps and Phelps and Nick Schmidt and I in 2016. That probably goes down as like one of the most legendary days elk hunting that us three have probably ever had. I mean, we called it rut fest. We got up in this basin. Granted, we were in the Idaho back country and not as many elk, but there was still probably 40, 50. I, I don't know. There was a bunch. And, but we had bulls screaming, running everywhere. I mean, it was like 320, 30 bull here, 285 point there, another big bull. Like, I mean, we had elk running everywhere and Nick Schmidt emptied his quiver that day (laughs) (laughs) and never killed an elk. Uh, Yeah. But dude, like that day, like if I were to go pick a day that like would hook you on elk hunting for anybody, like that was it. And then to experience this with this many elk and nonstop bugling elk running everywhere. I mean, it was something that you see on like a Primos film and the old school Primos films where they're like hunting the hill ranch or any of those private ranches and like the San Carlos or something. Yeah. And there's bulls like 30, 40, 50 at a time, like running everywhere, you know? Yeah. And that's how it was. And it was the most epic thing like I've ever seen. And I was like, yeah, this is, um, you know, it just makes you want to go back. What was the, what was the biggest mistake of that day? Biggest mistake of that day, I think, was aside from not paying attention more to Kylie's sight, um, was honestly probably, man, maybe almost not even being aggressive enough a little bit when we had the 30 head bedded in front of us with that 330 bowl. Like, I could have moved forward a little bit. Granted, I was trying to get her an elk, but I could have moved forward and probably killed that bowl. Like, if I'd have been by myself. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe not being aggressive enough was the biggest mistake I made. I, I should have been more aggressive. Um, and I would have shot that three thirty bolt. And actually the biggest mistake I made was not having my bow in my hand. When the first six by seven came walking in, that I was going to have her shoot. Cause I was so focused on her killing that bull. I had my bow sitting on arrow knocked, but it was sitting on the ground. Uh. And so when that bull turned and walked by at 10 yards, I should have had my bow and shot it. And then she still would have shot the other one because he was coming in behind. So we had two different six by sevens come in at, you know, within a minute of each other. And, um, the biggest mistake I made, I guess, was not having my bow in my hand. Never be unprepared. Let me say that. Dude. Uh, that might be, we were, we were joking about which one of these top 10 are the worst or whatever. I don't know if you can categorize these, but I would say like not being ready or misjudging range is probably the two that I see the most. 
uh, outside of like lack of effort. But if like I talk to my buddies and there's a story where they it went south or didn't go right, uh, it's generally speaking like a misjudged range or just not being ready. Like that yeah. is all the time. And a lot of times it happens to guys that are like calling too. Like how many times have you been set up calling for someone else? Are you calling for Nick and all of a sudden a bull comes in and you're like, ah, yeah, now there's nothing you can do. Like, right. dude, that happens all the time. Yep. Like, yeah, that, like I would say as a mistake, whether you're a beginner or a seasoned vet, like, I don't know, not being ready is probably the biggest one. Like you, how many, I mean, it's just like thinking about, I got stories. I got another good story actually with Captain Charlie Smith about that. We can talk about later, but, um, yeah, I mean, it just not being ready and being prepared. Cause I mean, if you're sitting there truly every time and had your bow in your hand, range finder out, everything was good. Did we, how many elk would you have killed? I mean, we all probably would have killed a handful. You know what I mean? Dude. Yeah. A handful. Um, yeah, that's probably my biggest one. We'll circle, circle back to that one. <laughs> We're going to do that one last, yeah. but we did it first, uh, which I think it's, that's, I mean, it's one of the top ones. Um, the other one that I think I, I see within other people is lack of effort. Like if I was like looking at the general populace, like the average, you know, let's say 90% of elk hunters who don't kill anything to me, it's just lack of effort. Would you agree with that? hundred percent. Yeah. I think, you know, it's like whether you're getting up early in the morning or, you know, early enough to get in somewhere or staying out until dark and, you know, really giving it a full day's effort. I think, you know, once we started doing that, I mean, we literally started backpacking just to force us to stay out there. Yeah. And once we started doing that, dude, our elk rates skyrocketed on what we were killing. I would, also, I would also say like just even hunting, covering more ground is number one, but a lot of people who only hunt in the morning and the evening, like, yeah, your, your odds of killing an elk midday, I think they're equally as good, but you know, sure. like if you're not hunting all day or whatever, you know, there's times where I don't, and there's times where I'm patient, but if I don't know where elk are, I'm probably hunting all day. And that yep. I think is a huge lack of effort, if you will, is like, if I don't know where elk are, if I, if I don't know where elk are, I'm hunting all day and all night, but like I'm going until I find elk because like, if you don't have elk to hunt, you're not hunting, you know, like right. I just, I do not like this. I have no idea where elk are and dude, it happens every season. Like I, right now, currently do not know where an elk to hunt is. Uh, yeah. I'm going to work my face off to find that. Once I find that, then it's a matter maybe I'll like take the midday off and not try to, you know, go after a bull midday or maybe I'm like, okay, I'm going to go here this evening. Cause I think that bull's going to come out. You know, like there's a lot of scenarios there, but when it comes down to, if I don't know where elk are lack of effort or I'm pushing myself, you know, twice as hard to find elk. Yeah, I would agree with that a hundred percent. Um, mainly like you said though, cause it's like, if you don't have elk to hunt, you're not hunting. Yeah. And so how are you going to kill one? If you, you know, you don't even have anything located to go find and, you know, put an arrow in. So yeah. And like, I'll always, I mean, not always, I'll generally have like some backup situations. Like even if I'm like, man, there's, there's going to be elk here. There's nothing really bugling down there or for whatever reason, like if I, if I have something, you know, then I'm like, I feel a little bit more confident if I'm like, man, I know there's elk in this drainage. I just haven't hunted it yet. Or, you know, maybe I thought there was better opportunities then, you know, that might change it. But if I don't have any, I'm finding elk like as fast as I can. Do you go around and and look for like midday, you know, instead of wasting the day, um, go look for like wallows and stuff to see if they've been hit. Yeah. To see if there's elk there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it depends on the type of country you're hunting, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, like there's just 
I'm doing whatever I can. And it depends on the area. You know, if I was hunting Oregon, I'd be bugling all day. Like the odds of finding something are probably, you know, oops, say it's opening week. I may not, maybe I'm not going to find anything, but maybe I cut a track, you know, I'm just covering ground or yeah. checking wallows, uh, or like going into an area. Like there's an area that I, uh, you know, I'm like, uh, maybe it's like a, Hey, I've been wanting to check this out. I'm going in there midday and with enough time to be where I, wherever I want to be in the evening. So I'm not wasting a good evening, but I'm like, Hey, let's go check this out. Maybe we'll cut some tracks and find elk. I, I do have killed a lot of elk just randomly going to check something out and cutting a track midday you know, figuring out where that elk went. Yeah, I would agree. I think that's a pretty good, good time and strategy. I mean, and you never know, I mean, when you're going to kill one, I killed one with Phelps actually 2016 that year we had rut fest, we called it. Um, that's how Phelps and I were, we'd been hunting in this spot for like seven days. He killed a bull and Nick emptied his quiver. Nick went home, Phelps and I went back in and we hunted it for a couple of days, had some elk, but it was kind of starting to die off. Like we'd ran them out of this big Canyon and so we packed all our stuff and we were like, well, you know, kind of midday, mid morning here, let's just take off and then get out of here and go somewhere else and just keep looking for help. Like, let's go. We got to find them, you know, and dude, we took off and went like a mile up the trail from where we had been camped in this bit down in this Canyon. And sure enough, boom, cow call and yeah. or Phelps bugled and then bull bugles ran up the trail like 400 yards. And we were like, well, we got to be kind of close. We didn't, even, there was no elk up there like the last few days, like there hadn't been anything. And then cow call and boom, the bull ran out at 30 yards right on the trail and I shot it. Yeah, so, like you just never know, you know? No, and yeah. I, I mean, that kind of goes right into the next one. Like, uh, one of the ones, and I'm not the, again, these aren't in order, but like selecting an area or a unit or whatever, I, along these lines is like not hunting a big enough area. How many times have you gone to a spot, had the perfect plan and it didn't work out, you know, for whatever reason, or you blow the elk out of there. And then you're like, I have no idea where to go. Half the spots I wanted to go are, you know, people everywhere. And the other half, I blew the elk out. I don't know what to do. And maybe this is like borderline lack of effort, but it's like, I think it's just not having enough areas or it's choosing the wrong areas or just running out of ideas once you do. But man, area selection is like, you need to have, when we say plans A through Z, like, you know, at least have five or six options because I guarantee the first two or three, you know, they get blown out. Then you're like, ah, I just don't know what to do. You know, and you, you kind of give up or you half asset maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think having multiple areas are key. Um, and well, I guess it kind of comes back to like my Montana hunt this year. Um, you know, it was like, I had a spot where I was set on going and yeah. I went there opening day. Uh, I left, sent my dad there. Um, he called in three bowls right there and, you know, the week before I came back and then it was kind of like, okay, you know, that was like our, what we were banking on. And we did have a couple other spots that we had picked out and, you know, I'm glad that we had those. And then that old timer, that farmer guy, I'm glad he gave me some insight cause I passed it along to my dad and he'd been checking spots out before we got there and knew where some elk were. And, um, so you know, it was kind of like by the time, you know, we went back to hunt it. I mean, dude, I had a whole handful of different spots, you know, it was like, okay, if this doesn't work, we're going here, we're going here, we're going there. And then we're going to find the elk, but it was just, you know, you're not accounting for certain things like the gumbo and not being able to actually <laughs> get there, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I would agree with you though. Having plan a through Z and then some is 
something that I, I think is a big mistake that a lot of people make is not, is not having enough or being willing to move. Well, being like, willing to adjust your plan, man. Like, right. like, you know, like maybe you're a diehard caller and like that you spent your entire life calling out cause you work with Phelps game calls and then you show up in the breaks and it's like, you can't play that game or whatever. You have to be able to adjust your plan as you go. And, and right. You know? Yeah. And I think that that's kind of a big thing, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, my dad, I'll say, I mean, it's like 11 to death and he'll even tell you, he's like the biggest pessimist in the world. And so, <laughs> like he gets so set on a spot. Like if we say we're going to go hunt, no tell him Crick, dude, like we're spending seven days in no tell him Crick and he won't leave it. He'll be really? like, there's no, and we're going to find him, And we're going to, we're going to dig one up. We're going behind that tree and we're going to find that one elk, you know? Yeah. And he just gets so fixated on a spot rather than being like, Hey, there's not much going on here. Let's pack everything up and drive 20 miles over here and go try this out instead tomorrow, you know? And I think that that's a big thing is don't get stuck, dude. If you're not hearing much in a spot, seeing much sign, don't be afraid to move, you know, go, even if it's open in the map and picking a spot right there, that's totally random. Try something. I mean, you got to, you're never going to kill one, you know, otherwise. So and you could go in an area and scout all summer. I mean, how many times have you been there and seen bulls, you know, or bucks or whatever? Oh, I'm coming back here during season. And then you get there and there's nothing. Oh, and dude. Yeah. Now you're deflated. Oh, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? I didn't really scout anything else. And then, okay, now what? So. Well, I think that kind of ties right into, I'm going to say number four. I'm just making these numbers up because I don't know what we're on. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, not being aggressive enough. And it's kind of in the same way, whether you're talking about being aggressive and like going to new spots and getting out of no telling creek, or if you're talking about like when you had that, you know, situation where you could have slipped up to 30 yards or whatever. This is like, I think the one thing that separates those who have killed a lot of elk and those who haven't, and maybe that's just sheer experience, but it's like when to be aggressive sure, and how to be aggressive in the right way. Like sometimes it's, you know, it's all about patience, but I would say with elk more often than not, you need to be more aggressive than you think. Right. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, a hundred percent. And I think, you know, one of the other things that we kind of had, I don't know, whatever number that is nine, 10 down the <laughs> list is, um, being, like, I think a lot of people like think about being quiet and when they're out hunting, especially archery, Oh, I got to be quiet. I got to sneak around Yeah. and elk make noise and they make a lot of noise. I mean, if you ever had a herd run through the woods, I mean, it sounds like trains running through, you know, going through the woods. I mean, it's, it's loud. And I think sometimes given the situation, if they're not bedded, you know, if they're kind of milling around or if there is commotion going on, you got a bull chasing another bull off or cows and like trying to, you know, he's, he's making all sorts of racket dude, you can literally be super aggressive and like literally run right in on them. I mean, and whether that's like snapping sticks, running in on them and maybe thinking it's another bull coming in or just walking and, but you're sneaking, but you're walking. But if you snap a stick, it's not the end of the world. But I think some people, they just, you know, they're not aggressive when it comes to that. And so, um, I would agree. I mean, the people who, that I know that kill elk and kill a lot of elk, dude, it's like, they're super aggressive. It's go time. I mean, when they get in close, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's like they're snapping sticks, they're running in on elk, um, you know, or sneaking in, but they're, they keep sneaking and sneaking and sneaking rather than not trying at all. You yeah. know, I mean, rather than sitting back at like 150 yards and 
oh, I'm going to cow call right here and hopefully that bull will break away. No. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, that doesn't work. Dude, I, mean, I, would, I would even say you were pretty aggressive, like on the Montana. Um, this is what I would call like forcing the shot. And that always sounds bad because I'm like not talking about forcing it through a gap. You can't shoot, but like, uh, with your bull, like drawing back and like making that last 10% happen or even 1%, you know, like you got to 19 yards, like how many dudes were like, Oh, the wind at my back. And like, just like, Oh, hopefully he doesn't smell me or right. like, or, or whatever it may be. Or like he stands up and then they start to draw and they don't have time. Like I see that or, you know, elk stands up and, you know, runs five yards and they go to range it, it or like whatever. And, you know, they're not aggressive enough. Like sometimes you have to make that last 1% happen and be aggressive to like, okay, just drew back your bow. You knew that was going to go sideways. You knew you probably weren't going to get more than a, like one opportunity if the one. And so you like just made it happen. That's like being aggressive to me. Yeah. In a good way. Yeah. In a good way. I agree. I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, there's several scenarios there on that hunt that, I mean, most people would have just sat back and tried to call or do this or that rather than actually sneaking in on the elk to begin with. Yeah. I mean, that's just how I hunt though. I mean, it's like, I don't know. I just kind of found that the more aggressive you are, the more stuff you're probably going to notch a tag on, you know, I mean, it's, I don't know. And, and it's, I say that though, cause sometimes being aggressive is being patient too. It's kind of <laughs> goes both ways though. You know what I mean? It's, I don't know. It's, it's tough It all. It, every scenario is different, but I agree with what you're saying. And I think some of it too comes in experience a little bit. And until you've had certain situations, like knowing that the wind was going to be screwed right there and I needed to draw someone else might've let that bowl, you know, or had the wind hit their back and think, "Uh Oh, I hope this works out, you know, rather than being proactive. You know what would happen there is that wind, would have bumped the first elk and the bigger bull would have stepped right out and you would have had to shot or you would have shot a bigger bull. I know. I've already <laughs> thought about that a million times. I'm like, man, that first bull would have ran off and the other one, cause he just ran out and he stopped because well, why'd that other one run off? You yeah. know? Well, <laughs> I would have killed a bigger one, but it is what it is. So well, we're not going to talk about that. Uh, okay. So like kind of on to what you were talking about, like knowing when to make a move and when not to, this is like a little bit counterintuitive. And I think if you're a new elk hunter, you're going to be like, what the hell? You just told me to be aggressive. And now you're telling me like no when to move and no when like to wait for a better option. This could be for a lot of reasons. Um, like there was a couple of times, I mean, just in your story, you backed out. Like we could sit here and say, well, be more aggressive and, you know, maybe you'll get the shot. You have to know when you have enough odds to force a shot and when you don't. Like that is a big piece of elk hunting. And I don't know how to get to Southern experience, but like knowing when is a good time to move down on an elk and when's like, like right now, like we got to back out of here and they're going to, you know, come back in the morning, in the same spot. Mm-hmm. Like, I, is there a better way to explain that than, than I did? Um, no, well, yeah. I mean, I don't know that it's, it's a tough, it's convoluted. It's kind of like one of those one half dozen, the other type of deals, but yeah, yeah I mean, I think in a certain situation, um, you know, knowing like in my example, it's like, dude, I had like 300 head running around down there. And the night before, yeah, we called some satellite bulls off that herd and she almost killed one. And I probably could have snuck in and killed that big seven by seven the night before if I'd have been by myself. And, but you know, it's kind of one of those things where having that many eyes running around down below you, we probably could have snuck down a little bit in the trees and cow called me might've had the same scenarios the night before and called a few rag bulls off the herd and maybe got a shot. 
But I think like when you look at the situation too, knowing that the bigger there's, you know, six, eight, 10 really nice bulls running around out there in 300 head, it's kind of like, what do you, what is, what are you trying to achieve here? No. You know, are you, are you just wanting to kill a rag bull? Cause in that case, yeah, I would have snuck down and probably called one off and killed it. Are you trying to kill one of the big herd bulls? Cause if you're trying to do that now there's it's patience and then the right time to be aggressive and, you know, make it happen. Kind of like the one that I killed. I mean, it's a nice bull and it's kind of like, you know, we made the play to back out and come back the next morning. So we didn't mess it up because we wanted to kill a bigger bowl or two, you know? No, for sure. And I think like I thought of a good example while you were talking is, you know, the 300 elk in a field being aggressive does not mean like trying to be aggressive with 300 elk in a field. Like there's just no way that's going to pan out. That That's just stupidity, not aggression. And right. so like knowing when to be aggressive, when not to, like when is it stupid and when is it not? I look at it as like percentages. Like I'm not going to risk something if I, if I think there's a 10 to 15% chance of this wall working out, like say I see a stock and I'm like, man, there's like a 10% odds. I'm going to wait for a better situation. Uh, or, you know, I'm like, man, I think there's like 60, 80% chance I can sneak in there and call that bull. Or I think he's going to go this way as they feed out. So I, you know, I think I got a pretty good chance. Like, yeah, the wind's iffy, but I'm going to be aggressive. I think I can do it. You know, like, and that's what it's, it's an odds game. Like, what do I think the odds are that this situation is going to pan out? If it's 300 elk in the field, I'm, I'm going to go with zero, you know, 0.0, yeah. 0 chance that's going to pan out. So yeah, I'm not yeah, going to be aggressive. Perfect. Yeah. Don't even try. Yeah. Yeah. Which boils so, down to, uh, mistake number 37, uh, wind. I, this gets everyone. I mean, it, there's like good, I mean, there's like pieces of this you can't control. Right. And, but I think there are a lot of mistakes that get made around wind, uh, Judging the wind and not thinking about where the wind is, where you're going to be like so many dudes hit their puffer and they're like, Oh, wind's good. And then they walk over the hill and they're like, Oh, the wind shifted. The wind didn't shift. It was like, that's what it was doing on that side of the rock. You know, if there's a, uh, a rock, the size of a house, obviously the wind is going to be doing different things or there's like, how is terrain changing the wind? I see this all the time is dudes think the wind's good and then never check it keep moving in on an elk and like oh the wind changed like well did the wind change or was it always doing that where the elk was right yeah i think that's a big thing you know and it so i'll say i mean for me like i've always grown up really hunting like big kind of rough country you know pretty mountainous stuff where you know in the morning you know the wind's coming down and then it's going to shift and start up and like that's just kind of the stuff that you can kind of bank on, especially in some of these bigger canyons. And, you know, especially if the sun's out, it's a nice day. Like you can kind of count on that, but if the storm's coming in, I don't care who you are, where you're hunting, like dude, stuff's going to start blowing around all over the place. So hunting stormy days can be good, but they can also be really tough. Um, because the animals can't hear you as easy. So you can sneak in on them, but at the same time, your wind's blowing everywhere. So that's the hard part. But um, certain areas of the country, like Eastern Montana, for example, um, dude, I mean, it's like, you kind of usually have a predominant wind over there cause it's pretty flat, yep. you know? And so you can really gauge, Oh, okay. Well today we got a Northeast wind or South wind or whatever the wind's doing. And it usually stays pretty good. And like, that's the one thing I found about hunting that this year was 
I'd get up in the morning, check the wind, and we were kind of walking in. I'm like, okay, well, the wind's in our face. It's good. Dude, it would stay there like all day. That's, yeah. So, yeah, it wouldn't move. And I was like, well, okay, I know we need to approach, you know, move around and come in this way on the elk because that's where the wind's at and it's going to stay that way. And it did. But if I was hunting, you know, a big canyon or something, you know, like I'm used to hunting, like in, you know, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, whatever, um, it definitely, you got to pay attention to business there and like play it how it needs to be. So you might start out in the bottom in the morning with the wind in your face. Now the elk are above you. Now they bed. Now you got to go back out and circle completely around and come in on the top, you yep. know? Yeah. So no, that's common, super common mistake. Yeah. Uh, next one is going to be calling your position away or calling away your position. And I use this, you kind of said something during you were talking about that hunt you did this year or last year. Uh, one of the mistakes I think people make is, and this man, this is wildly dependent on what you're trying to call. So if I was trying to call a raghorn, I really wouldn't worry about this. If I was kind of trying to kill any elk, I wouldn't worry about this as much, but, and if there's 300 elk, it's a little bit different, um, versus calling one, you know, in the timber. And when I wrote this, I was thinking more along the lines of, you know, your average calling scenario in the timber where I'm calling one elk in or whatever. Uh, but I think I watch a lot of people give away their position and elk will know right where you are within four feet, uh, as soon as you call. And so many dudes will call and call and call until they try to get a shot. Well, like bulls, like looking for you, right? Exactly where you are, uh, or where your buddy is either one. And I think that's a problem I see is people just like calling it until they get the shot and not letting that bull try to find them or move or whatever. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, what we generally do is, you know, cow call, bugle, whatever, get that bull located and shut up. Yeah. And we move in as far as and as fast. We, I mean, we literally sometimes will just take off running through the woods. Charlie and I did that about five, six years ago on a like 370 bull. And uh, we literally ran at it full tilt, took off running, and the bull ran out at 32 yards. And I should have killed it, but Chuck was in front of me, but that's here nor there. Uh, (laughs) So anyways, um, but yeah, it's kind of one of those things where if you start calling and that elk knows where you're at, what are you doing? Like, you know, sometimes if they're hot enough, yeah, he'll come screaming and run in anyways. Majority of the time, public land, they've been educated a little bit. They're weary. They're not going to do that. So, I mean, what we do And what I do, you know, whether I'm hunting kind of by myself or with a caller is I will call and whatever noise I make, I will move forward 20, 30, 40 yards, like whatever I can get away with after making that last peep and then shut up again. And I let the elk do the talking and or moving rather than me keep calling because he knows where you're at. What's his incentive to come in? Whereas if you make a little bit of noise, and then move forward. Now you're, you gain ground on him and now you shut up and he's like, well, where are they? Well, he's going to come in and now you're a heck of a lot closer than he thought you were. And then, you know, now it puts you in a better spot for a shot. So Dude, I don't know. I know a hundred percent agree. And it kind of, this boils down to the next uh, mistake that I see a lot or hear a lot about, uh, is like when to draw. And this is goes kind of hand in hand with like calling and giving away your position. You give away your position. You're kind of screwed. You're, you're screwed because then you, it's hard to draw. Uh, this is especially applicable when you're solo hunting, but either way, 
uh, and we could kind of move this one into positioning and movement as well. Like the draw positioning movement, it's kind of all one. Uh, but man, how many times have you seen people screw it up where they go to draw and the elk takes off or whatever, like sees the movement, uh, they're in the wrong position. They don't get a shot like that. That happens so much, man. At least from what I see. Yeah. I mean, Dude, I think in all of us, though, I mean, I've had those scenarios before. I mean, I'm sure you have. I mean, it's kind of part of a learning curve a little bit. But, yeah, I think, like, the biggest thing, it's my dad always says, like, if their eyes exposed in the open, they can see you somewhere. Yeah. And if it's behind a tree, it's the only time, tree, bush, whatever, that you're truly going to be hit. So, I mean, if if you can see their eye, they can see you. So... I think, you know, pay attention to that. Let them cross behind a tree. Sometimes, you know, if you're hunting thick stuff, you know, it depends on how much you shoot your bow and how strong you are to hold it back. But I mean, if, you know, a bull's coming in, he's 80 yards out there in the timber, but you know, if he's just kind of slowly walking, you might not draw, but it's like, if he's kind of moving or walking at a steady pace, dude, that 80 is going to turn into 30 real quick. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, you can draw your bow back and sure you might hold it back for, you know, five, 10 seconds, but at least you got it back rather than waiting for him to get to 30. And then you're like, Oh, what do I do now? You yeah. Know? Dude, the first one I see an elk coming and I'm like, shooter, you know, first thing goes through my head is like, where's my draw opportunity. And right. like, there's times where like within milliseconds, it's like bull shooter, no draw opportunity, like draw now, like just before he gets anywhere. Like I know I'm going to have to hold it, but it's like, there's once he crosses that, you know, chasm or wherever it's going to be, I'm not going to get a shot. The one stipulation I'll say to this, and here's a good tip for people is like, if you, if there's nowhere to draw your bow and a bull is not looking for you, if he's kind of like, maybe he didn't hear where the bugle came from, or maybe you had called and moved up a hundred yards and here he comes. I, you can get away with drawing when a bull is moving. If he's not looking for you now, granted, if he is suspicious that something is there, this might not work. And this is kind of a last ditch effort. I wouldn't rely on it, but sometimes if a bull is walking and he's not really paying attention and you draw, you can get away with it and he's going to stop and look, look at you. So like make it fast. It's like that bull, you know, as fast as you can back. Don't like, you know, do the hail Mary draw where you're trying to draw a 90 pound bow. But like if they're moving, you know, they can't see super well when they're moving, if they're not paying attention, uh, you know, I've drawn back at those times where it's like, okay, draw back. And he's going to freeze. Like he's freeze framing right there. And like, you might not, might not get a shot. You might, but I've seen people not draw their bow and think, Oh, I was going to spook him. You know, a bird in hand is worth two in the bush, man. Like if a bull's at 30 yards and you're like, do you let him walk by and hope you get another opportunity or do you risk and maybe be aggressive, try to draw real quick and see if he'll stop, you know, hopefully you get away with it. Those are like judgment calls, but I want to put that in the back of your head next time. Like, Hey, it's an option. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and I think, you know, it's, you talk about, the letting them move and, you know, so they're walking and drawing your bow. That's one thing. I mean, I hunt a lot of whitetails and obviously I got a few behind me and some more in my office here, but, um, I always, always try to draw my bow as that buck is walking, like coming in, you know, or going behind a tree or something. But as he's walking every time, like I've had him come in and like stop 
And if you try to drive, it's over. Like they got you so fast yeah. and, or they hear it and they can't hear as well when they're walking too, cause they're making noise. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I would say that a hundred percent. So Alrighty. That's a- next one is misjudging range. And I added sight failure just because Kylie's when you were talking about that. I hear that a lot. They're like single pin, like, oh, I forgot to move my pin. Hell, I've done it. I've missed an elk one time just because I was being a jack wagon and I was shooting 100 yards at a dirt bank and then never moved my sight back. And so my yep. pin was set 100 and I just skied it over an elk one time. So, I mean, dude, it happens. It happens all the time. And I, this is like, you want to be prepared and you want to be in shape and you want to be fit and you want to be the best out call in the world before season, but you have never practiced judging range. Right. <laughs> That's like yeah. 101. That'll get you every time. Yeah. And I mean, how many times have you been hunting and especially elk cause you're calling in like scenarios and one gun sites come running in. How many times have you been doing that? And dude, there's no time to grab a range finder. Dumb. I mean, you know, it's like, oh man, this is, he's coming hot. Like, uh, or he walks in so fast and you're like, uh, well, that tree looks 34 yards. I think, I, I don't know. Yeah. And you know, it's like, you don't even know. And so, yeah, that's the biggest thing. So, I mean, what I do, especially like during the summer when I'm shooting my bow is I'll go out to like a new spot and just go take my target, go up like a dirt road, set it out. And I'll literally just start like looking at trees like around and move the target and try and get different yardages and pick them out. And then I'll take my range finder after and like verify like, okay, how far was that? And so just a practice, I mean, it's like, I don't know. And one of the big things I think when you talk about the calling and the ranging and stuff, when they're coming in is, um, like if, if you're got a bull going and you think things are getting kind of serious, and maybe it's my last call that I just made and I'm deciding to move forward. The first thing I do when I move forward is I grab my rangefinder and like pick out like four or five, like different landmarks, trees, branches, whatever that will stick in my head. And I range them instantly and then put it away before I even think any farther. Yep. Um, just so I know like, okay, I'm kind of covered here. Um, I got a general idea of what things are. And, and I'll say for me, always hunting timber, I've got pretty good at judging distances like in big timber and which is kind of hard for some people. Um, but the hardest for me this year is like hunting over there in Montana when it's flat, dude, Yeah, like stuff looks either way closer or it's way farther than you think it is, you know? Yeah. No, dude, that's, that's huge. Another one is like, uh, Last year I missed a bull and I <laughs> I take laugh about this, but uh bull comes in and I, I had ranged the tree and I knew as soon as the head went behind this tree, like I forget what it was, thirty, whatever it was. Well bull standing there, so I draw and he pegs me and I'm standing there, you know, like forever in a stare down match, and like and there's a gap and I have between two limbs it's a gap. And it's like a one foot gap, it's not a tough gap, but it's like I was so paranoid at that gap that when he spooked, I cow called and stopped him. Like I was so, my entire thought process was like that branch gap at 25 and not, and worried about hitting that top limb. And I, I didn't even account, you know, like just, you forget. And it's so easy to think like, oh yeah, I'm good at ranging or whatever. And the funny thing is, is like when a 300 inch bull comes screaming in at you and it's bugling, you know, right in your face, 
you laugh at those chicks on Instagram that are holding their bow upside down, but how many times like bull comes screaming in and you're like, you don't know which way's up. Like you forgot to look through your freaking peep. Like, do I even have an arrow in like all these things? You forget everything. And like, I I mean, I've been in that situation a million times and here it was uh, last year, you know, know, 20 years into elk hunting. And I just was so worried about the, the, the limb gap that I just shot right under that bull. And I was like, I just missed a, like what, 33, maybe 35 yard shot. I was like, how does that even happen? You know, it does. Trust me. Like it happens to everyone. Every single one of us, it'll still happen. I mean, it's, it is what it is. It's hunting. Yeah, dude, everything's good. You're cool, calm, and collected until an animal walks out, and then your brain turns to mush. <laughs> like, dude, every time. <laughs> I don't care. It's like my whitetails. I mean, you know, I've got seven, seven, eight that are, you know, pretty nice. And it's like, dude, the first, my bit, which happens to be my biggest one still, my first one, my big, first big one, I call it. Um, dude, I couldn't draw my dang bow back. I was so shook. I was so nervous. Like a buck came in, I couldn't even draw. Like I would, I just freaked out and, uh, I didn't know what was going on and I ended up shooting him and killed him. And after that, it got a little easier, but it just, cause I was like, okay, I finally, like I got one of these big ones, but I still get so excited every time. Like I see a big buck coming, I'm, I'm like, okay. And so I just like start thinking the steps in my head, you know, yeah. rather than like, okay, he's coming. It's like, okay, what do I need to do? Like what, what's coming up next? You know? And I do the same for elk, you know, it's just kind of like, okay, draw anchor peep, you know, like I just like run through it fast in my head of trying to keep my mind off of the elk, you know? (laughs) Uh, well, I was looking back at this year and so that was kind of our top 10. I don't know if we hit 10 or 11 or nine, but we're going to call it 10. Uh, we, when we were talking about this, um, this last year, whatever. And we, before the podcast, we had talked to the, the story we we're going to tell about not being ready. But right after I missed that elk that this last year, I go and take a nap in the middle of the day. Cause it's so same, it would have been Monday, the same weather ish that you were getting, you know, yep. the sun came out Monday, it was raining. Sun came out. It had been like storming Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday morning. And so like sun was out, it was starting to dry on Monday morning. And I, uh, dropped my pack, my bow to use the facilities and go and lay down. And I'd like the sun's out in this little grassy meadow. I was like, I'm going to go take a nap right there. Cause it was like 10 30 or something and took a nap. What? 12 yards, 10, 12 yards from my bow and mid nap. Here comes a herd of elk, you know, like, so back to this, like not being ready. Yeah. Well, I was 10 yards away from my bow and a, you know, 322 bull walks out in front of me and I'm like, God dang it. Like, like this doesn't, ha- like this shouldn't happen. Like what a day. All right. I missed a bullet 33 yards. And then I don't know, two hours later, I'm like 20 yards or 10 yards from my bow. And there's a three twenty bull standing in front of me. So right. like it still happens and we're all going to make those mistakes. But like, I'm you have those stories, right? Oh yeah, dude. I mean, I got one that almost is exactly like that. I remember when I talked to you cause I was heading home from the my Montana hunt that day and you killed that bull. And I remember you told me that story and I was just like, dude, and it was funny. So the year before, um, Charlie and I were in Montana and dude, we've been getting just hammered all week. It was like day seven or eight and nothing going on and just rough hunting. And so we had sat down to eat lunch, had, I called in a bull for him that morning, never got a shot at it. And then we dropped down in this Canyon 
And uh, we were sitting there eating lunch and everyone just kind of, it was Charlie and his wife, Kelly and I, and um, I don't know, we just kind of bummed a little bit, but it was like one of those things like, let's just regroup here and take a break and then just keep going. Like we're going to go find the elk. And uh, we all started taking a little nap. Sun was out, had been raining that, or that night in the morning. So it was like a little damp. And uh, I put on some music light music on my phone and we're sitting there everyone kind of out like just trying to regroup and we're listening to music and i'm like laying down on my back and i look over here out of corner of my eye and all of a sudden chuck's sitting there and he's like scrambling putting on his release and stuff but not like super fast like you would think anything but kind of like moving a little bit you know like something might be coming or something going on and we had done some cow calling right as we were eating lunch just a few here and there and this kind of comes back to the being prepared too. And, um, I was filming. So I had, uh, I had my bow sitting down or my, my bow, Charlie had his bow sitting down. I had the camera and I was sitting there and, um, I co- catch Charlie moving. I'm like, so what's the first thing you're thinking as a camera guy? Oh, I should probably get the camera ready and figure out whatever commotion he's doing just to make sure we're filming. Right. So I'm laying on my back. I'm looking. Things are getting a little more serious. I'm peeking out of the corner of my eye. And I'm like, huh, he's going for his bow. That's kind of weird. Why don't he get up? <laughs> so, dude, I'm like laying down, eyes closed. I just like pop up, sit straight up. And, oh, and there's like a 320 bull standing there at 20 yards in this uh. whole thing. It had snuck in while we were eating lunch. And we were sitting there listening. So, dude, I had Eric Church music on <laughs> on my phone and going off. And this bull snuck into 20 yards with music going. And Chuck, if I wouldn't have moved, he had his bow. And, like, he was behind a tree. Perfect. The bull couldn't see him. Chuck probably would have killed it. And I just <laughs> stood up and was in the wide open. And so, dude, it thing took off just crashing down through the timber, you know. But, um, yeah, I just, of course, I felt horrible. I'm like, dude, sorry, buddy. Like, we've been pounding all week and haven't killed one and then you know, there was your chance at 20 yards and I spooked it off and Chuck's never let me live that down from this day. He's like, who listens to music when they're sleeping in the woods? Like who does that? <laughs> no one listens to music. And so, I don't know. It was just kind of one of those things, you know, but I mean, then you told me your story and sleeping away from your bow. And I'm like, dude, I, I don't know. I mean, so moral of that story is if you sit down to eat lunch or take a nap, Make sure your bow is like at your side at all times because yeah. it could happen. Dude, I, I know so many stories of that. I, I literally, when I woke up and saw elk, I was like, I hear about this all the time. Like, this is what happens. Like, you know, you're not ready. I've never heard of anyone actually killing the elk when that happened. Um, right. <laughs> but that happened to us one time. We were in the, in the wilderness, super deep, went in, you know, bust or hurt or whatever. And it would finally all meet back up midday and, I was like throwing out some cow calls, like just trying to get a bugle to like wherever they went to, you know, not trying to call anything in, just sure. throwing it out there. And so we stop, we're eating lunch and we're like all three in a circle. And I like, I'm eating something and I look up and I'm like, don't move. And my buddy Pat's like jumps and like turned around. I'm like, what part of don't move means jump up and like turn around. But there was like a f- nice, like dark horn five point, like right behind him, maybe 20, uh-huh. maybe 20 yards. And he's, I'm like, don't 
move. And he's like, where? <laughs> like stands up. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> Yeah. What? Yeah. The don't move means don't move, not move. Hey, jump up and turn around. Look. Yeah. God. So yeah, that I, I just know so many stories like that, man. People sleeping and who are Me just too. messing but off the, midday. Yeah. The one that I will say, if you, if you can in, in sleep in a midday spot is a good spot. If it's hot, it's on a wallow. Yeah. And it, I've actually, I know several guys, one of my dad's buddies, um, he hunted Montana a lot and he had like three different wallows picked out and he would hunt like mornings and then he'd somehow work his way over to one of the wallows midday and he'd take a nap and dude, he's killed several bulls that way. He'd be sitting there sleeping and all of a sudden here splashing and then he'd, Oh, there's an elk in the wallow and he'd just lean forward and shoot. <laughs> like he shot this super old big bull, uh, doing that about seven, eight years ago. And, um, but he just gets set up, you know, tries to find a tree or like a root wad turned or something and somewhere around the wallow where he can kind of hide himself a little bit and make like a blind or pull some limbs down and make a little bit of a blind. And he sleeps because, you know, the elk come into the wallow and mm-hmm. then they splash. So it wakes you up rather than, you know, doing that. But at least you're still kind of hunting a little bit. If you are going to take a nap, you're on a spot where the elk might come. I wonder how many elk have like come in, taken a drink, and walked off while he was napping. Dude, I don't know. Probably <laughs> a lot because he can't hear very good either. So I'm sure he probably had his fair share. Oh, but, that's awesome. Alrighty, man. Well, awesome stories. Uh, yeah, you drew a Montana tag again this year. So you'll be back yep. here. We might do some hunting together. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, good stuff, man. Cool. Thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Later, bro. Later.